Orgasmic Enlightenment, where the sexual and spiritual come together. I'm Kimanami, and I'm a holistic sex and relationship coach and a vaginal weightlifter. In this show, we explore all things intimate. I believe that our sexual energy is life force, creative energy, and we can use it to shape our worlds, strengthen our relationships, and self-actualize. I blend the most avant-garde information from neuroscience, ancient sexual practices like Tantra and Taoism, to renegade wellness modalities to show you how to create gourmet sex in your lives. Come one, come all. Medwives versus midwives. When people think of having a home birth these days, their first thoughts are often to find a midwife who will support their decision to give birth at home and to be there as a potential safety net. And now hospitals have their own on-staff midwives. However, in the times since 99% of women used to give birth at home with or without any assistance in the early 1900s to now where only about 1% of women give birth at home, a lot has changed. The modern midwife has become more of a medwife than a midwife. The definition of a midwife means to be with woman. I guess med is like metal to get in the middle of. <laughs> <laughs> to create interferences. Anyway, there was an honoring of her intrinsic process and that of birth itself. That is, the very life force of the universe would know how to bring itself to fruition, just like the creation and growth of a baby within a woman. She doesn't have to do anything consciously other than in the best of circumstances provide a nutrient rich and by this i mean both the physical food and also the emotional nurturance of love joy and peace as nutrients as the container for her child to grow within one path holds that birth is natural and if we stand back to give the process a wide birth b-e-r-t-h then it actually functions best that way undisturbed or interfered with the other approach is maximum interference at every possible juncture, from pregnancy tests to injections straight out of the womb. The dominant messaging from the medical profession, which medwives have now largely been co-opted into, is that you do not have the power. Women have been brainwashed into thinking that they need permission and instructions to give birth to their own children. The midwife, who used to be a champion for a woman whose role was to be encouraging and supportive, has now transformed into an interventionist. Instead of reinforcing the trust in a woman's own body and her ability, that trust has now shifted to tests, ultrasound radiation to see into the body, IVs, and surgery. Every invasion that can be done is done. The medwife has now become complicit in this strategy and is an instrument for this transfer of power, and rather a sly one which relies on a woman's misunderstanding of what a midwife used to be. Well, her understanding was correct, but now to know what she actually is, which is something different. I see women currently utilizing their state-funded midwives available for free, nothing is for free, who are placating her and keeping her invested in the hospital and the allopathic system. 
Every single time a woman steps into a hospital and the requisite leg spreader stirrups for her checkups during pregnancy, these scenarios reinforce the notion that birth is an illness needing to be managed. Every single test a woman submits to, every time she lets a doctor shove his hands ritualistically into her vagina, she is signaling and having imprinted on the core of her body, on her very cervix, that she is not in charge. Someone else or the entire institution of obstetrical intervention is. Inevitably, most people who participate in the theater of endless testing and monitoring of their pregnancies will end up with a hospital birth, and usually a crisis one, because <laughs> all hospital births end up being crises. Oh, if we didn't give her the Pitocin, the IV, the epidural, or the C-section, she wouldn't have made it, or the baby wouldn't have. Do you really think that the human body is that inept? or that the entire hospital birthing process is designed to make it seem that way. This is a quote from an American doctor in 1938. If these facts can be substantiated, if this information can be promulgated, if females can be induced to believe that their sufferings will be diminished or shortened and their lives and those of their offspring be safer in the hands of the profession, there will be no further difficulty in establishing the universal practice of obstetrics. All the prejudices of the most ignorant and nervous female, all the innate and acquired feelings of delicacy so characteristic of the sex will afford no obstacle to the employment of male practitioners. Once you have that heavily invested in their ideology, it's pretty hard to escape it. You either believe and trust that your body can do this or that it can't and that you need help doing it. Birth then becomes either an initiation into your own power, autonomy, and sovereignty, or it becomes a massive imprinting on your psyche and your body of the outsourcing of it. We have truly minimized the power and importance of birth in our modern culture. Once revered as the most powerful act a human being could facilitate the giving of new life, the one who stands at the doorway of life and death faces that precipice and overcomes it, as the most spiritual, potent test and awakening a human being could ever have, has now been relegated to a TV caricature of a woman panting and screaming, oh thank god you're here, as a doctor slash priest-like figure comes in to save the day. Oh, you little girl pats her on the head, you couldn't possibly be up to the task, let us do it for you. The cost of letting someone do it for you is the big lie. This is the source of postpartum depression, of learned powerlessness, and a lifetime of parenting struggles because you let somebody else do it for you. The initiation of birth is the very act that brings you into the full power you need to be an effective parent and to rebirth yourself as a female, as a mother, and as a woman. To be so sure and grounded in yourself that you can hold the space for the wildness and chaos and tests of parenting and life because you went through them in the microcosm of birth and came out the other side victorious. 
The point I'm making here is that your birth experience is one of the biggest gifts and opportunities of your life. Yes, not only because your child comes into being, but because it is a grand spiritual awakening for you if you choose it to be. Or it can be something that sets you back into unconsciousness and victimhood. I'm speaking bluntly about this because I don't pay homage to the cultural trend of not taking responsibility and giving away power. That said, I fully acknowledge that we don't know what we don't know. <laughs> so in the past, if we didn't know, we forgive ourselves and we move on. But as we learn and come to know these things, then the onus is on us to take action, make courageous choices, and step away from the path most trodden to forge our own. In the realm of birth, this often looks like naysayers, both cultural, familial, and medical, telling you, you can't do this, or rather, you can't do it on your own. You need a complete stranger's hands in your vagina or their knives in your belly. The choice is yours. You can do it, but the road to getting there is a test in itself and requires your own courage and spiritual strength. In today's episode, I am speaking with Yolanda Norris-Clark. She is a writer, holistic birth witness, teacher, coach, and mentor. She has given birth to eight children at home and six of those entirely free birth, which means that she had no professional medical interference during her pregnancies or at the birth. And she has another baby on the way. I interviewed Yolanda a few years back on the podcast in the Natural Birth Equals Ecstatic Birth episode, and she's back today to talk about medwives versus midwives and all things empowered birth. I have watched her emerge in the last 18 months as a strong voice, speaking out about the things that most people won't even dare to think, let alone dare to say. My admiration for her bravery and eloquence has grown all the more. Welcome, Yolanda. It's wonderful to have you here. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Kim. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah. So let's dive right in and talk about a statement that you have made, which is that midwifery is dead. So tell us why you think that and what's the difference between a midwife and a medwife? Wow. Yeah. Midwifery is dead. Long live midwifery is actually the full statement. <laughs> and so what I mean by that is that um, well, in my view, authentic midwifery um, will never die. Um, I see authentic midwifery as, as a calling, um, really as a vocation, uh, as an embodiment, as a, a spiritual practice. Um, but it's also just a completely normal totally practical human activity. Like it, it to, to my mind, midwifery is really inextricable from our humanity. I see authentic midwifery as really essential to human flourishing. Um, and I believe that as long as human beings remain fertile, as long as sexuality remains the primary modality for human procreation, 
as long as there are some humans left on the planet who are you know committed to embodiment and to to living to some degree anyway in accordance with uh with the rhythms of the natural world uh there will be women who are willing to sit with their sisters as they give birth in power uh and and self-determination now I think that there are many forces at play right now that are quite successfully in, in some cases uh, convincing quite a large proportion of people that um, relinquishing our humanity and, and a kind of embracing a kind of a, a cyborgicity is, is a good idea. You know, I, I really do think that we're living through a very, very potent time during which you know, maybe more blatantly than, than ever before, we're, we're kind of being offered this sort of Faustian bargain, right? We're being presented with the option of moving in the direction of a, of a sort of, you know, cyborg future um, or remaining human. And all of that is, it's really front and center right now. But I think that gesture has been in play for many, many years, many, many generations. And the erosion of these really authentic human connections um, is, is a big part of that. And I think we see that again in many, many different ways. And one of those ways that has been really present in my own life is what I've seen happen to the idea of midwifery. So um, around, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, um, the, the, the sort of shift away from what I understand to be authentic midwifery started to happen um, in a very interesting, insidious way. Now, um, there have always been, there's always been this sort of, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe not always. Let me kind of backpedal. I, I actually, I believe, I, I have to believe that there was a time when women were honored for our, you know, quite special, intimate connection to the divine source of all life, right? Just the fact that life moves through us and, and we bring babies into the world. It's, it's kind of, to, to my mind anyway, it's undeniably magical and divine and spiritual and just gorgeous. Like this is just the essence of who we are. Aren't we magical creatures, right? But I also think that, you know, I have to believe as well that, that you know, at that time in this sort of idea that I have of, of what, what was once, that men were also honored as, you know, the powerful protectors and, and creatures that, that they are, you know, that we honored each other and that there was some semblance of kind of integration. Um, and I really can't pretend that I understand what's been going on in the world, but I know that there's something that is happening, right? Something that's happening. And, um, and I think that something happened, maybe this is just, maybe it's, just, maybe time just does this, I don't know, but I, I, I have this sense that sort of, that, that, that something happened to our ancestors, that there was some kind of rift or cleavage that was embedded in human culture 
on the basis of differences and distinctions that are actually perfect. So for example, you know, these perfect differences between men and women, I think has really been twisted and instrumentalized by, I don't know, I have this urge to say the forces of evil. And it's hard not to go there when, you know, things are so bombastically strange in the world right now, right? Um, but I think that there has been this sort of underlying fracture and discord and sort of power struggle that's been at play for a long, long time. And in each generation that erupts in different ways. And when I look at what's happened to midwifery um, as sort of an example of this kind of rupture, it's really, really interesting to me to note that, you know, in the 1600s, um, midwives were very deliberately driven underground, kind of driven out of communities, driven underground by this emerging institution of allopathic medicine, right? Mm -hmm. And at that time, that particular iteration of this revolution was very blatant, right? The state came along and they were kind of in cahoots with all of these guys who wanted to make a lot of money um, by selling snake oil. And actually that's quite literally true. In fact, when you look at the history of, um, yeah, the sort of development of so-called modern medicine, there were certain you know, very wealthy families that were involved in that. Um, and they were one of the reasons that they were, um, that they had this plan to implement this kind of, to create this institution that has become what we understand to be modern medicine is that they had all these petroleum products that they needed to offload, right? And they wanted to figure out a way of making money essentially. So it's very funny to me that the, the expression, you know, a snake oil salesman or someone who's selling snake oil is used to sort of denigrate most often these days, natural healers, naturopaths, you know, independent um, healers of, of various kinds. And yet it was quite literally the first doctors who were selling potions and lotions made up of snake oil. Um, and these were the first iterations of, of pharmaceuticals, right? So when you look back at what happened to midwives when modern medicine was first coming to the fore, um, that was done in a very overt way, right? It was like, these women are crazy you know, we have, we have all of the, the modern amenities, you know, you should come to us instead. Um, and what has happened recently is actually pretty much exactly the same thing done in a slightly different way um, with a little bit more subtlety. So there was in the 1960s and 70s, a real resurgence in natural birth and um, you know, forms of holistic midwifery and essentially um, uh, a revitalization of independent grassroots midwifery. Um, and about 40 or 50 years ago, um, in the really in the 80s, 80s and 90s, um, the government started to realize that this movement was gaining too much too much power, too much enthusiasm. There were too many women who were interested in this. 
And so instead of driving midwives and midwifery away uh, kind of aggressively, um, the tactics in this case were, were a little bit different. What they did instead was they went to these independent midwives and they said, you know, we see what you, are, you women are up to and we really think it's wonderful. And we would really love it if we could, you know, support you um, in becoming in, in becoming legitimate and uh, you know, we want to help you essentially. And we want, also wanna help women because you know, women are a little fragile and you know, they have a really hard time kind of figuring things out and making decisions for themselves. And so if we, <laughs> if we could welcome you under the umbrella of this brilliant institution of modern medicine that we've created, then you know we could we could offer you you know the additional training that you clearly need and we could offer you insurance and we could offer you um, an, a way of becoming legitimized in the eyes of society because right now you know I don't I'm not sure if you're aware of this but people kind of see you as you know, a little bit nutty you're a little bit out there you know you're a little bit sort of you know, rough around the edges. And we could clean you up really nicely and put you through some remedial, you know, medical training and give you this insurance and we could pay your paychecks even. And wouldn't that be nice? You know, wouldn't it be nice to have a regular paycheck from the state instead of, you know, having to trade your services and, you know, sometimes you get chickens for attending a birth and, you know, sometimes someone will give you a barrel of apples and, you know, it's, it's very um, precarious work, right? Um, and most midwives, sadly, um, said yes to this, to this kind of idea. And so what we've seen over the past 40 and 50 years is essentially the allopathic medical community appropriating not only the term midwife, but also the practice of midwifery. And it has been kind of transformed into what is essentially, in my view, a branch of modern allopathic industrial pharmaceutical medicine. And that's kind of how I see things in a nutshell. Yeah. But I just kind of <laughs> rambled on there. Again, I hope I sort of answered your question, but that, that hopefully gives a bit of an overview of kind of how how, how I see what's become of midwifery. Yeah, and I was thinking that the same thing has happened with, say, naturopathy. So the idea of these people who were maybe more grassroots herbal medicine, you know, essentially would have been their major tool and then other modalities as they've evolved. But then, you know, the naturopath is exact same thing. They maybe were like thought of as fringe or marginalized or like you're saying painted as a little nutty or, you know, how, how would you trust your, your health? to somebody like that. And then I think also the people in that profession being sensitive to that label, right? And that energy being thrust upon them being somewhat, oh, well, we could legitimize ourselves. And if we just adopt more of their practices or take on more of their regulations, then we will present a more unified front and a more respectable veneer to the public. And then they slowly morph into the machine that they were originally, uh, you know, in opposition to. And 
at least as a, as a choice for people. And so I've seen that very much so where people, especially over what's happened in the last year and a half, people I would have thought would have taken a stronger stand or been more vocal about things have really just let themselves be enveloped by that system and that overarching doctrine. And so the way that you described that process is quite deliberate to bring these people into the fold and better to, you know, the enemy that you know versus the one you don't know or however you might phrase that, that they're now semi-allies, but also always at the risk of being dismissed from that position of pseudo respectability, right? If they do question something, then, oh, no, you know, you could be completely thrown out of the club now and ousted. And so there's a certain allure to that, I think, for people that they're then enshrined in this, you know, area of like respectability and that doctors are typically given right in our culture that we're taught to really see them as the holders of power they have their white priest-like robes they are the intermediary just like the priest between god and the human body and the doctor is that now between a person and their own body and so you know this the, and I think that divide now is becoming ever greater between those who choose to give away and outsource their power and their responsibility in their health in general, and then very much so in modern birth versus taking it back for themselves and birthing their babies in a way that's very independent of outside interference and where I think that most people would come into birth and the idea of a midwife and have perhaps that more traditional idea of the midwife as being a supporter of women, being an ally of the woman and helping the woman to perhaps listen to her own body, help her to remove any blockages and fears that she might have and just to be a real support versus I know now that in operation, midwives are really subject to so many regulations just like in a hospital, right? The way that there's certain time limits on things, if certain things happen, they're required by law to follow certain directives. And so a woman might join forces with a midwife thinking that she's you know, kind of made that choice to be outside of the system only to realize sometimes not until she's in her birth and she comes upon a, a a moment that then there is a crossroads then to find that she's actually really in the system and maybe doesn't even realize that until afterward. Absolutely. And that happens with just such immense frequency. It's really kind of mind boggling. I mean, a huge portion of the work that I do is debriefing with women, their birth experiences and I mean, quite quite literally daily, I, I get stories from women who, like you said, have only only ha only recognize the kind of the 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 underlying relational dynamic they have with their midwife. Sometimes, like you said, in the midst of the birth process, and it really does function often as a kind of bait and switch. It it, it really does, and it's not. This is such a delicate thing in some ways because 
I think in some cases, individual midwives themselves are not really fully aware of this dynamic, right? Because just as the process of moving through medical school is a form of, of hazing and indoctrination, it's not terribly different now when uh, uh, someone moves through the process of becoming a regulated midwife, because in most jurisdictions, in Canada certainly, and I think for the most part in the U.S., becoming a midwife is now a process of, of it, it requires often like a four-year kind of medical experience. You know, most midwives are trained um, with other sort of institutionally minded midwives, sometimes often with OBs in a clinical setting. And so it doesn't even really resemble what a lot of people have in mind when they think of the word midwifery, right? So, you know, authentic midwifery is, as far as I'm concerned, by definition, grassroots, unregulated, non-affiliated with any outside institution or, or governing body. And to my mind, anything less than total independence on the part of the midwife to serve the woman with whom she is in relationship really represents a hierarchical dynamic of control and of power over and of, of authoritarianism that I think is antithetical to the integrity that I believe is really required in order for a woman to truly give birth in her potency. And it, it's, it's very unfortunate because yeah, most women are not really aware of the politics that underlie a lot of this stuff. But you know, I, I don't think that it's possible to serve conflicting interests. You know, I think it's very, very important for women when they're um, you know, interviewing midwives and looking into the possibilities for their birth to, among many other things, find out who it is that pays that midwife's paycheck. Because if it's not the woman herself, then that midwife is not answerable to her. And as far as I'm concerned, as a mother, as a birthing woman, I'm not having anyone near me who isn't answerable only to me. Yeah. And that's such a huge thing. I was telling a friend of mine recently about a friend, another friend of mine who is, she just gave birth and she's was pregnant and didn't see a doctor, didn't see a midwife, decided to do a completely free birth, like from start to finish, right? Didn't see a single outside source to tell her the truth of her own body. And he was both shocked and happy like he was like oh I didn't know you could do that like because we've all been so brainwashed to think that the first thing you do when you're pregnant is you go to the OBGYN and then they tell you about what's going to happen with your body and your pregnancy and your birth right and he was sort of like oh it just never occurred to him that a woman could do that and completely just follow the innate truth of her own body and the millennia of encoded genetic experiences within her that would just like any other animal in the animal kingdom tell her exactly what to do all throughout her entire experience and so and i think that's the case for most people right like i when i was pregnant i intuitively had that sense of of free birthing even though i didn't have a name for it like i didn't even know what that was i was just like i don't need to see a doctor i was like maybe i should get a midwife and somebody described what they call a radical midwife which i I guess is more that terminology for a more independent we treated a canoe 
for the birth. You're always laughing when you made those analogies of a bag of apples and stuff. Yeah, we traded a canoe for the birth. <laughs> that is so delightful. I love hearing that so much. I love it. And you know, for, I'm I'm right now I'm pregnant with my ninth baby. Um, <laughs> and, uh, throughout my previous seven pregnancies, I've had absolutely no interaction whatsoever with any professionals of any kind at all, including midwives, including authentic midwives, including birth, birth, you know, traditional birth attendants, simply because I just, I don't require any of that. And I did feel that I wanted that kind of motherly support during my first and second pregnancies and birth experiences. And those were wonderful. And I did find an amazing underground midwife to support me who was truly independent after I actually experienced some of, you know, a little taste of what industrial midwifery can, can look and feel like. And I ended up severing my relationship with, with my um, regulated midwife and actually actively seeking out this illegal underground, you know, this woman who, who, you know, a, a lot of people in the community had very strong feelings about her in both directions. I, and I really, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really had to tune into my own sort of inner, inner voice, but, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't see, I, as far as I'm concerned, pregnancy is not even remotely a medical event, let alone a pathology. It's, it's a, it's a spontaneous biological experience, like making love, doing whatever, you know, digestion. It's, it's just something that I have the power to enact simply by virtue of being a human woman. And so, yeah, it's not anything that I even really think that much about anymore, although my life is really birth. But when it comes to my own birth, it's like, it's just another day. And it's the most miraculous experience that I've, you know, I, I love giving birth. But it's very interesting to, you know, to share some of that with people that I encounter in the world, because I often get responses like, are you allowed to do that? Like, am I allowed to give birth like the human being that I am? It's very, very interesting. And again, it's really, I think, reflective of just the degree of intense programming that, um, you know, we're all subject to, to certain degrees, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that sex and birth, the beginning and the end of that whole process are two of the biggest places where there, there are the most programming and brainwashing and for people to you know my philosophy around sex has always been that everybody is a powerful innate natural lover and that the only thing that gets in the way of that are cultural programming trauma conditioning brainwashing that's been imposed upon that natural ability and my a huge part of my work is just removing those things off those layers off of the person to reveal what's in everyone and I have I say it's a guarantee I guarantee that everybody has that within them it's just that it's covered over in varying degrees from whatever experiences in the culture at large and the same thing applies to birth is that every woman can have an orgasmic birth a free birth a completely led from within birth without needing any kind of outside direction but she may need to do a lot of deprogramming to get there 
Absolutely. I completely agree. I do. And, you know, in that sense, I really see, again, authentic midwifery, not as a practice or a profession that is the, whose purpose is to impose anything on, on it. It's just, it's not a, even a medical thing in, in, in my experience. It's, it's really a spiritual calling and it's about simply supporting the mother in discovering who she is and moving through this amazing process. Yeah. And so in terms of like, cause you are a big proponent of free birth and we've talked to you before mm -hmm. and on that. And ultimately when I started doing a deep dive into modern birthing practices a few years ago, when I came across the, the idea that free birth was a, a concept and was a, an articulation of what I had felt intuitively, how the birth and pregnancy process ought to go in my own life years ago, but it's a movement now. It's an actual, or has a, has a label, right? This idea of free birth. And, um, you know, so how would you describe free birth and the difference between, you know, even having a more authentic midwife versus a free birth experience. Yeah, this is an interesting question. And, you know, I think the, 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 this, this, this very conversation is really uh, illustrative of the fact that birth has become so weirdly politicized. You know, we have like doulas now, there are certified doulas, there's different levels of certification. There's like this idea of scope of practice for doulas. There are, you know, midwifery has, has really become so highly medicalized, like I've described. Uh, and then there's also this free birth movement. And I think, um, you know, the way that I define free birth and this is up to every woman. I really, I'm not in the business of policing anyone, but I do think that language is very important. You know, I think that uh, I really believe that language creates our reality and that those who control or assume the right to name things um, or to kind of establish the meaning of words have a lot of power, um, right? Um, and so, I do think that it's it's very important to me anyway to remain as conscious as I can about the words that I use. Um, and so I define the idea or the word free birth to mean a woman who gives birth without the presence of anyone in her space who has any particular training or with whom there's any kind of financial um, uh, exchange uh, because I've experienced both. So like I said, I gave birth to my first two babies in the presence of uh, a truly independent um, traditional birth attendant who did call herself a midwife when she supported my births but on account of the political situation in Canada at the time, a couple of years later, she began to use the term traditional birth attendant for herself because truly independent midwifery had become criminalized in Canada, believe it or not. And it is now and in many places. And that's just that whole, that whole um, issue has, has kind of basically touched most of the world now. Um, so, I use the term free birth to denote 
a woman who's consciously chosen to not have anyone present at her births. Um, because I experienced what it was like to truly be supported by a woman who I saw as an authority in birth, but who I also knew completely was never ever going to position herself as an authority over me. So I feel like that distinction between being an authority in this process versus being an authority over the birthing woman is very, very important. And then I had my six, yeah, six free births. And during those birth experiences, I didn't have anyone present with me who I had hired or whose services I had engaged or, you know, who was there in any capacity to, uh, you know, support me, uh, as, as an authority in the birth process. And those experiences were very, very different. And I've also spent a lot of years working as a traditional birth witness, um, which is what I call myself, because of course, again, I'm not legally allowed to use the term midwife. I have very mixed feelings about that, but you know, I'm, I'm playing the game as we all have to, to some degree. Um, and I really understand very deeply that the moment that I cross the threshold into a mother's home, uh, who has hired me to uh, be present with her and to witness her birth, which is how I describe the work that I do. Uh, the energy of the room changes, the atmosphere changes, her energy shifts, and I have a lot of power. And again, it's not power over, it's power in the sense of presence and in a way as kind of a, you know, as a guide of sorts. And so the reason that I'm very specific about the way that I use the term free birth is actually because long live midwifery. I want to be, um, I want to stand for the preservation of what I see as authentic midwifery, even if there are lots of situations where I can't really call it midwifery because the whole conceptualization of what midwifery is has shifted so much and it's become so politicized. Does that kind of make some sense? <laughs> well, when you said that you're aware that when you step into a room and the energy changes, what do you mean? I mean that there's a reason women reach out to hire me uh, to engage in, I should say, engage my services or engage the services of a traditional birth attendant, just as there are reasons why women reach out and hire or engage the services of, of a midwife. Um, and that's because they are looking for uh, someone to be with them that that they really trust and who understands birth and who can serve as serve um, in a kind of a leadership role of sorts during their birth experience. Um, and that's really what I was looking for when I was, you know, a 19 year old pregnant mother. And I knew that I wanted to experience birth in my full autonomy, but I also didn't necessarily feel comfortable having a 
total free birth with, you know, by myself in a cabin in the woods. Um, and actually I had planned to do that initially. Um, I, I had hired this regulated midwife first when I was first, when I first became pregnant, I very quickly realized that she was not capable or willing of offering me what I wanted, which was support on my own terms completely. Um, it became very clear that she, she worked for the government. She was answerable to the government. She had, you know, there were a lot of restrictions placed on, on her or a lot of restrictions that she accepted um, and that she was, you know, happy to work under for her, for her paycheck. And that wasn't going to work for me. Um, and so I disconnected myself from her and I had decided at that point I don't want anything to do with this. I want nothing to do with any of these people. I'm going to give birth by myself in the middle of the woods. Um, no one's going to be around. That's the end of it. And as my pregnancy progressed, I actually had fear. You know, I felt scared. I didn't know what to expect. And I realized uh, near the end of my pregnancy that I really did want a wise woman there with me. I wanted a kind of a guide. I wanted someone to um, reassure me when, you know, I, I, I was in the sort of midst of, of what can really feel like, like some deep, dark, shadowy places. Um, and, you know, I think birth does take us to those places often, you know, not always. And I love, love, love the stories of orgasmic, you know, purely blissful births. Um, but actually the birth experiences that I've had myself that have taken me to the edge of the abyss have been incredibly powerful and precious. And I love those births so much. And I think I sensed that birth holds that possibility as well. You know, that possibility of really encountering our, you know, darkest, deepest fears. And, um, and I, I felt like I really wanted uh, a wise woman with me and I think that's what women are looking to looking for when they engage my services as well. And so when I, when I say that the energy shifts, there is a sense of real responsibility that I have to the women who hire me to be present with them. And again, another distinction that I think is really important, I don't have responsibility for them. I have a responsibility to them to show up and to just love them and to validate the experience that they're having. And, you know, in some cases to, you know, take certain actions that, um, that will facilitate the experience for them. Um, so yeah, it is a, it is a different thing. There's a different quality to the experience of giving birth when you've invited into your space a woman that you see as having some experience that you want to draw from. And there's a really big difference um, that I can pick up on as a birth attendant um, in, in the space of birth that I've experienced myself as a mother as well. You know, when I've invited that wise woman into my space versus being in the you know, being in the, the, in, in the sort of delicious, intense, sometimes terrifying depths of birth and kind of 
looking up for a moment and like looking for my midwife and realizing that there's no one there. It's actually all me. Um, and I love that too. You know, both are experiences that I'm so grateful to have had and they're very different. Yeah. Well, in you describing what you just did, what comes to mind for me is the idea of a shaman, right? Somebody who is a, an experienced walker between realms and their purpose is to, well, I guess everyone can see it differently, but in my view, to be a bit of a looker out, you know, looker outer. And if something, you know, they're, they're standing back, but they're there just kind of watching you as you get familiar with these new territories, right? Like as you're traversing into other dimensions and really it's similar experiences, like on the cusp of life and death, right? To me, which I see that portal of birth as being. And, and I do think that it's a great, the more that women do go inward and rely upon their own inner guidance to traverse that experience, I think the greater the rewards. And that to me is the largest um, thing that I see being withheld from women in this entire discussion and arena of birth is that the more medicalized, industrialized, interfered with, not only are there untold and massive damages, lifelong implications, traumas from those experiences, but the woman is deprived and it's not even acknowledged of the massive, massive gift, rebirthing, self-actualization and power that is granted her from moving through that portal of her own accord. And like I say, I think the midwife in her ultimate capacity is there as a potential, you know, way guider if needed, right? But with the gentlest, gentlest of touch, knowing, knowing, and I think this is the crucial difference, that the woman would be deprived of the gift of that experience if she were to take too strong of a hand, if it's absolutely necessary, though that's such a massive topic on its own, defining what's absolutely necessary, because many things are told to women in the hospital experience that they are, and they're really not, but that her job is to just up, stand back and then to create, to give a wide berth, B-E-R-T-H, right? And let her do, and then if the woman signals, you know, that she's available to just give the slightest of touch, knowing the, that she would be, as I said, deprived of the power and the gifting of that experience that she might only have once in her life. She only may have one opportunity. You've had, you're having nine. <laughs> like some women may just have one one shot, you know, at this experience. And that's not to, you know, put this pressure on women as an achievement. It's just what I try to reiterate to women is that they're missing out on one of probably the biggest gift of being a woman is the act of giving birth. And that the more she's doing that as this grand spiritual fulfillment initiation, she gets a massive change from that. And so I would say that, you know, you stand out to me, particularly watching you in recent times and how 
the my observation, your voice has become stronger and more fearless. And maybe it was already, but to me, it's much louder in that way, in a positive way, like very strong and held and take it or leave it. This is who I am. These are my beliefs. I'm putting them out there because it's, I need to, as my own self-expression and fending off the haters. And, you know, I, I feel like there's, you know, such a huge correlation between that self-ownership as a direct result of birthing in that way of self-actualizing as the, like the gift of birthing in this much more autonomous way. Well, uh, you're trying to think would, of a humble way to say. Oh. <laughs> I I would not be the person that I am. And I adore myself. If I had not had the birth experiences that I've had over the years, um, birth has really allowed me to love myself completely and to feel the kind of confidence I feel in being exactly who I am. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I do see, um, you, you used a particular word a moment ago, Kim, but I do see so much of what is done to women um, in their birth experiences, especially women who want nothing more than to have a full, powerful, autonomous experience, um, and then who end up uh, having their births sabotaged. I see it as a form of theft, really. I, I, I really do. Um, and it's, it's sort of theft in the name of, you know, industrial pharmaceutical profit in many ways, indirectly, you know, these, again, individual actors within these systems are not themselves, um, you know, intending harm. And that's also why this is such a, um, yeah, such a nefarious kind of setup. Um, and so it's so important to me to, you know, speak all of this out loud so that women are in a position to, you know, explore these details more fully and to really make powerful choices for themselves. Because, you know, on one hand, victimization is absolutely real. Uh, coercion is absolutely real. And we all have a choice as to, you know, how we respond to experiences that we've had in our lives. And um, yeah, just I, I, you know, personal responsibility is, is such a, an essential part of all of this. And, you know, I just, um, I recently supported a client of mine in um, her first vaginal birth, uh, which was also a free birth. Um, and she had had four surgical births prior to this. And not only that, she herself was born by C-section. Her mother was born by C-section and her grandmother was born by C-section. And so this woman just completely transformed her entire lineage. And I think that works both forwards and backwards. You know, she's shifted her story for her children, for her daughters. But I think there's also something interesting that happens, I don't know, maybe on the quantum level, you know, when we make those sorts of shifts, because I feel like that affects 
the way that she conceives of her past as well. It just, it, it just, it shifts her entire story. So yeah, it's birth is incredibly powerful. And one of the, one of the sort of ways that the insidiousness of these, mm, uh, yeah, this, this industrialized sort of system that touches everything. I mean, the, the, the medical system is not just the medical system. It's also the academic realm. It's, it's these, these influences are, you know, that we're, that we're really seeing playing out in such a dramatic way in the world right now are, 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 have, have sort of infiltrated every institutional system, I think in, in, in sort of modern life. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's just, it's part of the way these systems work is to downplay and dismiss the significance of the body, the significance of our sexuality and the significance of birth. And, you know, we hear these sort of, you know, these sort of whispers all the time that are, that are really knit into the culture, you know, in, in, in movies and TV shows and just every piece of culture that touches on birth, it's like, you know, birth is sort of a joke. It's, it's gross. It's, it's gross. It's disgusting. It's insignificant. You know, all that matters is a healthy baby. Uh, you know, surgical birth is totally normalized. Oh, and you probably want a surgical birth anyway to, you know, save your vagina. I mean, all of this insanity. Um, and, and it's so it's heartbreaking because the truth is that birth is literally everything. It's, it's everything. It's, it's the source. It's it's our deepest and most profound connection to ourselves, the universe, God, whatever, whatever you want to call it, you know? Yeah. Right. And along with that, the idea that the more gentle and loving the birth is that that's what's imprinted on the baby, which is what I think you're signifying, which is so miraculous with this woman's story of having that much imprinting upon her nervous system of that kind of surgical crisis oriented life or death. This is a dramatic, you know, stressful experience. All of that, those chemicals even, you know, connected to that. So the amount of rewiring that she would have done to get to that place of having what she did as an exorcism, even of those previous experiences is it is it's miraculous. And but that's what most people are. I mean, whatever, some degree of that are up against. But the opposite of that is coming into the world with such a much more loving, calm connection to the divine, like really then understanding that portal opening is the opening between worlds, is the portal between life and death, is a, a gateway to the other worlds and these energies coming through us. And then such a different loving, calm, peaceful experience imprinted upon both the mother and the baby. The mother then walking away with the sense of having achieved this incredible thing and knowing she can do anything. And then with the child just coming through in love and sometimes even in orgasm, you know, in sheer, in sheer bliss, right? Which is how many women describe their experiences when they've done this work to extract themselves out of the dominant narrative. Absolutely. And I'm really glad you mentioned that because, you know, in, in my sort of description of like, oh, birth is this and that, I think there, there, it, it could be interpretive that I'm sort of like forgetting about the baby and all of this. 
Um, and that's sort of one of the one of the unfortunate and and um, yeah, one of the unfortunate sort of charges that that are often laid on women who make these sorts of birth choices that fall outside of the so-called mainstream is like, well, how can you be so selfish? You're just wanting to have some kind of experience for yourself. Why don't you think about the well-being of your baby? And I mean, that's just so, again, it's really revelatory of how this culture sees just human beings because women are women are their babies. We are so totally interdependent with our children and the process of moving through this kind of ecstatic, blissful birth experience is absolutely rooted in how much we care for the well-being and the protection of our children. Um, you're absolutely right. Uh, there, the 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 impacts of industrial birth on on a newborn baby um, are are held in ourselves for our entire lives, and um, the vast majority of human beings on the planet right now are uh, walking around carrying um, really serious wounds and trauma um, in all kinds of ways, but uh, beginning with their experience of being born. And I think that, you know, birth itself is, I think birth itself has been um, manufactured to be a, a process of indoctrination and hazing in and of itself. And again, it's one of the situations where it's, it's so prevalent and it's so kind of, it's so close to all of us that we, most of us can't really see it for the, the, um, the distorted, uh, dark thing that it really is. Right. I really, really believe that. Um, yes, it impacts on, you know, every, system of our bodies, it, it changes our brains. And when babies are welcomed into the world um, in ecstasy and total love and peace, um, that also has a very, very significant impact on everything that comes after. You know, the relationship that mothers have with their babies, um, our, just our ability to be resilient um, in every way. Uh, and it's really, uh, again, it's a very, it, it's something that I think is, is in some ways deliberately obscured and, um, and really misunderstood by, by most people. And, you know, it's interesting too, because, you know, sort of catch phrases, trends in psychology have, have really included lately, you know, attachment theory is a big, it's a big one in psychology, in, in, you know, psychological circles or whatever. And, and he just a massive missing piece um, in most um, discussions around attachment theory is the birth experience itself. It's sort of like life begins when you get home from the hospital. And that's not true. No. 
Yeah, I mean, that um, in my work, the that's another huge block. Like I said earlier, a big chunk of what I do is helping people remove the blockages, the belief systems, the internalized traumas, everything that's happened to them to obscure their natural sexual expression that's healthy and beautiful and intuitive. And with birth and talking to women and couples even, that their births then become one of those experiences that often need to be cleared because they didn't even consider the fact that they had a really traumatic birth, that it was having this overhanging um, cloud on their relationship, on their sex life, because they get the pat on the head, like, well, you have a healthy baby, um, you know, you've got nothing to complain about rather than they walk out of the, I'll let you generally the hospital traumatized. And often there's a term called birth rape, you know, that's used to describe what happens to women sometimes. Um, and that they're in shock and they have PTSD, but there's no, no language, no vocabulary to even consider, which I think that's really what postpartum depression is. It's the aftermath of a really, really traumatic birth experience or even mildly traumatic, you know, but that they're walking out and they have no vocabulary to process this because no one has given them the space for that. And in fact, it's the opposite, right? That, oh, no, that's normal to be cut open. That's normal to have all these tubes and things put into you. Like, that's just normal. It's become normalized, but it's not normal. And so that's become a real, really insightful for me in the work that I do to recognize to as part of my checklist, you know, and looking at people, it's like, well, have you looked here? And most, almost everyone would say, no, they haven't considered that as a place to look because I'm trying to find and help them clear their traumas and their blockages, right? And so it's such a huge one that most people don't pay credence to because they've been told it's nothing. It's no big deal. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. Uh, it, it, I don't ever use the term um, postpartum depression because I, I don't think that it is a, a thing really. Whereas I absolutely acknowledge that, like you said, um, PTSD following uh, the experience of being abused um, and tortured, uh, which I, I, I don't use that term lightly. I, I do see industrial birth as a form of, of, uh, of torture. And it's even more torturous in the fact that women are told that this is what we should expect. And this is for our own good. And we did this to save you and your baby, which is just so often not the case. And, you know, when you start to actually, if you, if you really understand the physiology of birth, and then you start to look at the procedures that are part of the just standard hospital system, you start to realize that very few, if any, of those um, standardized procedures are actually even rooted in the so-called science. Um, they are often not only unnecessary, but specifically counterproductive um, and actually create far more problems than they solve. Um, and yeah, I mean, I do a lot of birth trauma debriefs with, with women. And sometimes it's 
you know, often women come to me saying, you know, I had a pretty good birth. Uh, there are just a couple of things that, you know, I kind of think about, and I don't know if maybe they were really necessary. And, you know, I had, I had, um, uh, postpartum depression for, you know, two years following my, my baby's birth. And I hear that a lot too. You know, I had postpartum depression, like it's something that you just catch or it's something that, that you just, it, that is to be expected that goes along. It goes hand in hand with just becoming a mother, like motherhood in and of itself is just really depressing. Depressing. Yeah. yeah. And like, it's, it's, it is literally, we are designed to experience birth as a peak of ecstasy, as a peak of pleasure, as a peak of joy in, in a person's life. And, you know, I think you and I talked about this before, Kim, uh, the, 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 the minutes following birth, during the minutes following birth, a human woman, her body will excrete more oxytocin than at any other time in our lives. And so our bodies are designed to experience birth as blissful. And we are also designed to experience mothering as blissful. That is really, that's, that's the design. And now, you know, even the loveliest and most wonderful, you know, independent free births, whatever, it, that, that doesn't mean that motherhood isn't challenging. You know, motherhood is challenging and can be very challenging, but when in the vast majority of cases, when women are supported in giving birth in power and when they are supported in having that blissful ecstatic experience, they, they then are imbued by nature with the capacity to experience those challenges and to also feel so much joy and to handle it and to thrive and to respond to what comes up. And yes, you know, there's, you know, recovery is sometimes necessary. I mean, often oh, recovery, you know, resting is important. Recuperation is important. Being cared for is important. You know, having adequate support is important. All of, there's all kinds of things that are, you know, that are great and, and important. And we want, you know, all of that stuff. Yes. But fundamentally, birth is designed to imbue us with the capacity to move forward powerfully and to take on the various challenges that just life and motherhood and everything, um, you know, hand to us. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really, really interesting experience to, to just see the world as it is. And, um, and I want to also say too, this is really, really important to me to always, always share and always talk about, um, Everything that we've just, just said, I think is very true. And I also, I don't just know, I, I don't just believe, I know that every human being has the capacity to heal from everything, from anything, from any kind of trauma. And I am the product of an incredibly traumatic birth. Um, my mother had a really awful time giving birth to me and she was 
abused in ways that are really quite quite shocking. Um, and I was born under the influence of um, numerous drugs. Uh, I was taken from, I was pulled from my mother's body and taken into, um, you know, another wing of the hospital where I spent the first, I think, 12 hours of my life in an incubator drinking sugar water from a bottle. And that experience has impacted me immensely. Uh, and it's also given me a lot of interesting perspective that, that I think has actually helped me in, in many ways. Um, and I don't know if I would say that, like, I don't know if we, we can ever get over, I don't think there's like a getting over it or, or a kind of, you know, necessarily, you know, we carry all of our experiences with us, but I do feel like my own births, my, my, my own children's births have again, engaged in that kind of um, have, have done a lot to, to heal me, um, in, in a really profound way as well. Um, and so I don't want any women who are maybe listening to this, you know, who, who, whose own entry to, into the world was, was fraught or who had really traumatic birth experiences with the births of their babies to think that, you know, they're doomed in whatever way, because I really don't think that that's the case either. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's a situation where, you know, once we become aware of these dynamics, or once we um, choose to be aware of these dynamics, we can then, I mean, there's just, there are an infinite way, uh, infinite ways of, um, yeah, of, of healing from, from all of this and of moving forward in our lives really powerfully. Yeah. I love all of that. I love the idea that the passage through birth gives us the tools to be more empowered mothers because we're empowered through the birth experience and that is the gift of it spiritually speaking and also what you said that if that wasn't the case for people in their own experience or the children that they've had i believe that too i believe that everything can be healed and i think what i've often say to people though is that instead of which i see a lot of is defending the system that harmed us is that we acknowledge that and then we do better right? Like now that we know better, we can do better. And maybe our chance at having that birth has passed, but going forward, we can inform our friends and our nieces and our daughters and our sons, right? About, okay, so, so because I think that reflexive denial is really strong. And especially when the culture at large is completely supporting that narrative to then recognize and grieve even what's happened and acknowledge what's happened as a trauma, as an insult, as a violation, as something that wasn't necessary, and then claim that, I mean, to me, that's what healing is. It's that reclamation and then ownership and then, okay, so I can't change what's happened in me, but I can pay it forward, right? Like I can help and share what I've learned with other people. And that is in itself healing rather than I think that the misguided impulse to defend and deny and hold staunch that no that was necessary or whatever that's where it just keeps the pain cycle going absolutely absolutely um you know i see a lot of trauma bondedness to to the system and i think it's 
it is initially, I think, very painful for people to acknowledge that what was done to them was unnecessary, abusive, a violation, because in part, it, it sort of uncovers a form of vulnerability that is really hard to come to terms with, I think, for many people. But I think it also has the effect in many cases of putting people in a position where they have no choice then to question a lot of these structures that we sometimes build our lives around. And that can be very confronting as well. Um, you know, I, I know so many women who, <laughs> for whom, you know, opening themselves up to their own power in birth, and in some cases, the ways that they were violated and the ways that that power was, um, was, was taken from them in birth, was the entry point to questioning so many of the other systems um, in the world. And that's a, it's a, it's a project. It can feel like, um, you know, everything is falling apart a little bit. And I mean, that's also being reflected right now in the larger world. Like everything is really falling apart. And I think it's great actually, in many ways, I think it's really interesting and exciting. And, you know, we are creating space for a different way of living and a different different way of approaching um, life. Um, but I also wanted to just say something briefly about what you mentioned about what it is to heal and how incredibly healing it is to simply acknowledge um, how these these um, these experiences have impacted us and to acknowledge that what was done to us was wrong. I mean, just simply that is hugely healing for sure. And in my own case, I know that one of the reasons that I, I love my birth story so much and that I'm so, you know, I think one of the things I really like about myself is that I'm continuously up for, you know, um, interrogating and analyzing and questioning these systems um, of power is because I cannot remember not knowing my own birth story. And there was never a time, you know, I, I, I was a tiny child when my mom, my mom was just continuously telling me my birth story. And it was always presented as, this is the way that you were born. And it was absolutely wrong. And I was violated and you were taken from me. And I got out of bed the moment that I could feel my legs again in that open, humiliating hospital gown that's open at the back. And I wandered through the hallways. This was my mother's story. She wandered through the hallways of the hospital looking for me. And she found me in an incubator and she had a fight with the nurse and insisted on taking me back. And she always told me from when I was tiny that birth would be completely different for me. Hmm. 
And I think what she meant, I mean, I know what she meant was that she believed that these systems would change. And the systems haven't really changed at all. In fact, in 2021, right now, birth is far more brutal and far more abusive than it was in 1981 when I was born, but not in my world. And so I'm so grateful to my mother for her, just her courage in really being willing to see that what was done to her was wrong. Um, and she, and, and simply the way that she told her story was so powerfully healing for me and radically changed my life. So yeah, it's um, amazing. I love that. Well, what would you say to women who are pregnant or might be considering having a baby right now in the state of our very tumultuous world? I know you yourself are pregnant. So what would you say to people? Because some people might be thinking it's not a good time to have a baby. Well, this is actually some, another, another quick story from my mom. Um, around a year ago. So it's, I, I think, I think many people have had this experience where uh, it felt at first, you know, in sort of, I don't know, maybe, you know, February, March of 2020, it's sort of like, it felt like it hit you with a ton of bricks, like, oh, wow, things are, everything has changed, right? And I definitely felt that, although, as we sort of eased into this crisis, whatever, whatever it is, um, I started yeah. to realize <laughs> something. Yeah. I started to realize that, oh no, there have been lots of signs throughout my whole life that 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 something is amiss, that 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 we're living through this very interesting time of transformation. Right. And I remember calling my mom in around, you know, March of 2020 and just saying, you know, I can't believe this is happening. You know, I, I can't believe this is happening. You know, I have these kids and like, I feel like my life is falling apart and, you know, we, we had everything like, what? And my mom was so amazing and she said, you know, who are you to think that you get to have a life of ease and predictability? That's not what life is about. So, you know, buck up, enjoy, <laughs> good luck. Um, you know, what are you gonna do about it? And and I thought, yeah, you're right. I mean, this is this is really what it is to be alive. I don't think there really has ever been a time in history where it makes sense to have a baby. <laughs> you know, there's always some kind of, um, yeah, I mean, life, life really is in flux. And the fact that so many of us have sort of felt entitled to stability, predictability, what have you is, no, it's not really the way things are. So I actually think that there's no better time to, to bring you know, powerful 
intelligent, uh, questioning humans into the world. Um, and I am very, very deliberately raising my children to um, be smart and resourceful and resilient. And uh, yeah, I mean, we never know what's gonna happen and we can't know the future. And there are a lot of predictions that are you know, being uh, offered up um, from every corner, right? Um, and some of those predictions are really scary and dark and well. Uh, and I have to continually remind myself that we are all in this process together of co-creating the future. And that you know, every action that I take in every moment is impacting on everyone around me, on my kids. Um, and so, you know, we just we just move forward. But um, yeah, I think I think it's probably the best time to to have a baby. Why not? <laughs> I love that. And I love, I mean, I agree. I think we are the creators of our world. And instead of buying into a darker narrative, we generate our own. And we do that through birthing our children and educating them and shaping them in ways that make them little truther warriors and able to deal with a world and reality. We populate it with our own. <laughs> Exactly. Literally. Yes. Thank you. So tell everybody where we can find you. You mentioned that you do one-on-one -on -one work, which I love this idea of birth trauma debriefing. I know that you have a book coming out. I do. I'm, I can be found at freebirth.ca. Uh, I also um, do some stuff on Instagram at Bauhauswife, B-A-U-H-A-U-S-W-I-F-E. Um, and I have a YouTube channel as well where I rant and rave. Um, and my dear friend and colleague, Emily Saldea, and I run a school for women who are interested in exploring authentic midwifery and the work of authentic midwifery as well. Um, and that's at uh, freebirthsociety.com. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, any parting words you'd like to give that we haven't covered? Oh my goodness. I've just loved this conversation so much, Kim. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. It really is, um, yeah, my my passion in life to really share this open secret that um, that we're, we're, we're human and, and powerful birth really is available to, to all of us. It's a possibility for every woman. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Yolanda. Thank you so much, Kim. My Sexy Mama Salon is all about how to educate yourself, deprogram, and reprogram yourself as the powerful portal you truly are. In this eight-week online class on holistic pregnancy and ecstatic birth, we cover everything from conscious conception, blissful pregnancy, birth orgasms, breastfeeding, and early childhood education. 
Sexy Mama is the ultimate condensed and enlightened guide on how to use pregnancy and birth as ascension experiences and raising independent free thinkers in the process. It all starts with birth. The Sexy Mama eight-week online salon is open for registration now. You can find the salon sign-up at kimanami.com. Look for Sexual Savant Salons and then click on Sexy Mama. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, subscribe and also leave a review and send someone else the gift of a healthy libido and an off the charts love life by sharing this episode with them. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, many happy orgasms.